Welcome to Healing the Spirit, a space where we awaken our creativity, deepen our connections, and remember who we are through the lens of astrology, archetypes, and art making. I'm your host, Jonathan Coe. Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of Healing the Spirit. I am really grateful that you're here. I'm excited to be sharing some of these contemplations with you. Um, This is the episode where I will be talking about the week of November 28th to December 4th. And as always, these contemplations are astrologically inspired by the moment we're in but they are not astrologically limited to the moment we're in. So trust that if you found this episode during the week that I'm talking about this, if this is calling to you, then you're supposed to listen to it when it comes out or during the week that I'm talking about. And if it's not, if you happen to have found this episode during another week where maybe the astrology has quote-unquote past, it doesn't mean that some of these contemplations won't still be relevant to you. And I welcome you to be open-minded about that and that perhaps you found this episode because the message that I will be relaying will be precisely what you needed in this moment. And as always, feel free to listen intuitively. Um, Don't worry about all of the details, but rather feel into where the truth is for you personally at this moment in your life. So as always, I would like to begin with a breakdown of the astrology of this week. On Tuesday, November 29th, Mercury and Sagittarius will be opposing Mars and Gemini, and Mercury and Sagittarius is also creating a sextile to Saturn, which is currently in Aquarius. And then on Thursday, uh, December 1st, Mercury will be squaring Neptune in Pisces. Venus, which is currently in Sagittarius, will be creating an opposition with Mars in Gemini. And just like Mercury earlier in the week, Venus will be also creating a sextile to Saturn in Aquarius. And then on Saturday, December 3rd, Neptune is stationing direct in Pisces. And um, Sunday, December 4th, Venus in Sagittarius will be squaring Neptune in Pisces. So I think what's interesting about this particular astrology is that this is all happening in the backdrop of what was happening last week, which was that Sun enters Sagittarius and also Jupiter stations direct in Pisces, right? And so we are in this space where there's a lot of Sagittarius and there's a lot of Pisces and also that this connection with Gemini is now starting to be brought in right and a little bit um, 
the vibe that I was getting is that the story is slightly more complicated now because Jupiter and um, or rather Sagittarius and Pisces are both signs that are ruled by Jupiter, right? Um, even though they create a square to one another. However, when Gemini is involved, Gemini is ruled by Mercury. And so there is a little bit of a different uh, vibe to this. When I was feeling into it, the information I was receiving was actually in terms of texture because I was really feeling that the texture of this week, this astrology, these lessons that we're kind of um, learning, receiving, living into with the astrology of this week is that there's something kind of sharp and spiky. There's something edgy, right? And that's not necessarily bad because sharp and spiky has a lot of potential to be spunky as well. You know, it can be really funky and it can be really interesting. In the longer view of time, we may look back at this window particularly as a, a crucial one. I was really feeling into how this window of time may be one where we are collapsing timelines, where we are moving forward with the story. I also sense that this timeline collapsing, this moving forward, it may either come with um, a little bit of friction. There may be a sense of things not being super easeful or not as easeful as we would like it to be. Or that this timeline jumping may require a little bit of tact, a little bit of strategizing, and there may be some trial and error, and that's totally okay, right? And it can bring a little bit of discomfort. So the astrologer Jason Hawley says something I really like when I consider Mercury, that Mercury's role is to move stories along. And I think this is so interesting because um, in the mythology, right, um, often when we are moving from one world to another, maybe from the living world to the underworld, um, traversing realms often require us to pay some sort of admission price. Mercury, however, is the only deity who is able to move without having to pay the price of entering or leaving one realm for another. Mercury tends to be quite nimble and perhaps one can even say rather neutral. And I think this is interesting because what I mean by saying that Mercury can be rather neutral is not that Mercury doesn't have a say or doesn't have an opinion or a personality, but that Mercury doesn't consistently take sides with one party or another. Rather, Mercury can kind of act like a socialite at a party, you know, maybe moving around from one uh, social group to another, or maybe like a butterfly, pollinating, not by being devoted to just one plant, but fluttering about from one flower to another. And so when we consider Mercury opposing Mars squaring Neptune, there's a sense that Mercury, you know, is the one that really begins to complete this T-square between Sagittarius, Pisces, and Gemini. The mutable cross, right, so all three signs, Sagittarius, Pisces, Gemini, are mutable signs. And so when I think about 
the mutable T-square or even just the cross, right, like all the mutable signs, it's probably the one that is a little less fraught because all of these signs traditionally are either ruled by Mercury or Jupiter, right? There can be less of this embodied crunchiness or stuckness that maybe we can feel with uh, forces like Mars and Venus, for example, right? That's so deeply felt in the body. However, it still feels to me like this is a moment in time where if we were moving either too fast or we were not conscious with the impact of our energy, of our thoughts, of our beliefs, and how they may um, impress upon another person, we may get into rather tricky territories. There can be misunderstandings in relationships or an awareness that words are not enough, that words limit what we are able to actually express. This is a good week to really make some space to notice what are my assumptions about the situation, about the person, about um, my role in the world. Right? And rather than charging ahead with our assumptions, take a step back. There is an opportunity, an invitation here to ask for yourself, do I know this for a fact or do I simply think I know? Because there's a huge distinction right, between knowing something for a fact and thinking that you actually know when perhaps you don't fully have all of the information. A practice that I feel will be really supportive for this particular astrology or whenever you're listening to this is whenever you're ready to share an opinion, visualize a gauge in your mind's eye, right? And then maybe ask, how much of this opinion is based on what I know as a fact? If the answer is lower than 80%, rather than jumping in right away to share our opinion, perhaps we can create a little bit of buffer, right? Maybe we can ask more questions before we go straight into sharing our opinion when perhaps our opinion is not fully formed or fully informed by facts, by something that um, the person is ready to disclose to us, right? Mercury is also known or rather often referred to in various texts as possessing silver tongue. To me, silver is such an interesting color because it's a very powerful color. It's also very tough, right? Silver makes itself known. Silver can feel rather abrasive or intrusive. Even as you listen to me speak about this right now, you can maybe feel into how silver feels in your body as a somatic experience. Another practice that um, came forth as I was contemplating the energy of this particular week is that we can dampen or take the edge off from what we are saying by um, making a conscious choice to put our opinion on or what we're saying outside of someone else's field. This is a practice that I learned from one of my teachers in energy cultivation, Deborah Kremens. So perhaps rather than you know, being, being really mindful of where your energy is going, 
when you are sharing a message, right? Are you, while you're sharing a message verbally, directing the energy into the person's field, right? Or are you allowing it to land the energy of what you were saying to land outside of the person's energy, maybe in their backyard or maybe in their study room or maybe outside of their neighborhood, right? Because we can share an information, an insight that comes to us and also we can be in the practice of being aware that we have an impact, right? Not um, being so nonchalant about our impact realizing that the impact of our energy is just as powerful just as impactful as the words themselves and so often what i found is that taking the edge off from whatever it is that we want to share is a very effective communication tool Unless someone actively invites us to chime in about their situation, the truth is, you know what? Nobody really likes being told what to do. Nobody, not including you. So this week, uncomfortable as it may be, taking some time to ask for consent, right? Are you really needing my opinion here? Are you really needing an advice? Or are you simply wanting a friend to witness you? Or maybe ask deeper clarifying questions, you know, without feeling like you need to jump into assumptions in order to make yourself look smarter, right? Or to make yourself feel like you are in control of the situation. Um, putting yourself actively in the space of trying to actually understand the situation or being in the observ observer seat, I think, can be really valuable. Um, being in the observer seat doesn't mean that you don't do anything. This is something that I think we can um, jump into a bit of a binary in especially the cultural context we find ourselves in because sometimes being the observer or being in the observer seat can have this connotation of being pitted pitted against the person who does something, right? Being the person who takes action. But I think that that's not entirely the whole picture because to me, the true core of being in the observer seat is not necessarily that you don't do anything, but rather that you prioritize collecting data rather than drawing conclusions. Collecting data can actually look like actively having conversations, actively holding space, actively connecting on a human-to-human -human level, and that is not necessarily passive. That is not necessarily you not doing anything. Prioritizing um, getting a fuller picture of the situation rather than jumping into conclusion rushing to fix problem or getting caught up in your own investment of how a particular situation will play itself out is the core of being in the observer seat, right? It's not that being an observer means that you cannot do anything or cannot say anything, but rather that you are 
approaching perhaps even the same action from a different vantage point, from being not so personally um, trying to meet a need or trying to further an agenda, right? Being active about removing your own um, desire about how a particular situation is going to play out and rather being more um, playful with it, being more taking an attitude of um, taking it maybe a little less personally. All right, we've talked a lot about Mercury, but as I mentioned, Venus will also become an active participant of this T-square between Sagittarius, Pisces, and Gemini. Right, so this conjunction between Venus and Mercury to me really underlines the element of choice that we have here. In the longer run, under the longer scheme of time, or you know, taking more of a wider lens of what's possible with regards to time, yes, the evolutionary intent, the truth about this time period may have to do a lot with moving the plot along. But it doesn't mean that we cannot make genuine connections along the way. Again, this is where it's interesting to notice where um, we can be invited into binary thinking, into feeling like things are either or. To me, Venus is really the planet, the force that's always telling us, take a moment, take a breather, stop and smell the roses, care for the ones you love. Venus is always radiating an invitation for us to ask, what are the opportunities for deeper connections, for more pleasures of the senses, for more beautiful ways to be with one another? In Sagittarius, specifically, Venus is interested in more beautiful stories. How can we make the story more beautiful, more life-giving, more delicious? Energetically, I feel that this time period, um, there can be sadness, there can be disillusionment, there can be disappointment around not being seen for our efforts. You may feel yourself in a tender moment with your creative work, that you're deeply entrenched, deeply inspired, yet perhaps it feels like your best work goes unnoticed, that all you have strived to do is somehow drowned out by the noises of the world around you or that you're swimming against the current of what others are um, interested in and it can feel like nobody is interested in what i have to do what i have to offer as a creative person i truly relate to this feeling you are not alone you are not making this up Creativity often comes from this deeply tender place, right? So you may feel really down when nobody's watching or when you consistently feel like you fail at mustering the courage to be seen. Here's what I want to share with you. The truth is you are your own best advocate. Nobody will care about your offerings. 
about your projects, about your inspiration more than you do. Neither is it their responsibility, right? Because the very act of truly seeing before we even get into production mode, truly seeing, truly valuing, truly loving our inspiration and the ways that inspiration moves through us is our work, is our role, right? There's something deeply liberating um, in true mercurial fashion um, about how nobody will care more about our offerings, our projects, our inspiration more than us, right? It feels like, I don't know, I'm kind of feeling that when I say that out loud, it felt like a silver dagger being poked straight to the heart right if you have a relationship with tarot it kind of feels a little bit like three of swords to me but i think it's important to remember that just because the people you care the most about is not looking doesn't mean that nobody's looking just because you are not receiving the acclaim or the verbal affirmation that you wish to receive doesn't mean your work is not valid. To me, this is not really the time to get discouraged. This is the time to take a good look at your own whys, right? Why do you do this work? Is there a way that perhaps your creative work, and again, creativity can show up in so many different ways, including your day job, your partnership, even your caretaking for um, uh another member of your family or um, someone who is not part of your family member that is requiring your care at this moment, right? Creativity can show up in so many different ways. What are the ways that perhaps your creative work have deviated from what truly made you happy? Is there an opportunity here to shift into a more easeful, into a more aligned way of creating your work simply by releasing whatever it is that do not align with your why, right? So as an example, I'm going to give a personal example here. As I deepen into why I love writing music and making music in general, I realize that actually music is first and foremost medicine for my own being, like literally, right? I'm not just using that word lightly because it's not just, you know, the chicken soup for the soul kind of variety of medicine. For me, making music on a vibrational level, like literally opening my mouth to sing or playing at the piano or uh, trying out some new chords on the guitar is actually really giving me something, right? There is an energy, there is a frequency in making music that really restores me, that restores my being and um, helps me recenter back into myself. While I receive a lot of joy from others expressing that they like my music or um, a lot of joy from the energy that I received from the audience when I perform live with a receptive audience, first and foremost, music is an important energetic vibrational medicine for myself. And there's also something in the sharing of the music that's deeply cathartic to me, right? It's kind of like writing a letter that I wrote for someone 
that I can never send this letter to, right? Maybe an ex-lover or maybe a family member that I love who has passed away. And, um, you know, it's kind of like a letter that I never sent and then I release into the ocean. When I release my music out into the world, it's very cathartic because it's just like a release, right? And I have the option to not um, worry anymore about that and rather I can experience a certain kind of creative emptiness that allows me to make space for new creative beings to be moving through me to be coming through and um, sharing their wisdom with me so in that case perhaps I can give myself the permission to let go of this idea that somehow I personally have to go through a million steps to make and to share my music that I can trust that I can also be, um, for lack of a better term, my own CEO in kind of a conventional sense with my music, right? Someone who watches over the shoulders of my artist self and judges the performance of that artist self. Rather, I can, you know, not, not be so strict with myself i can just relax into this is the music i enjoyed writing and recording and if i have the means i will drop it into the ocean of the internet and let it be what it's supposed to be because my true purpose is um when i'm sharing to empty myself right to relieve myself so that i can hold space for whatever it is that wants to move through me again that perhaps you know i don't need to worry so much about whether people are listening to this or not that i can make a conscious choice to focus on creating the music and releasing for the sake of this being my own medicine To support us further, I also have pulled a couple cards for us to deepen our contemplation as we walk our paths this coming week. Um, the two cards that I pulled, um, I'm currently traveling, so I'm only bringing one deck, is um, the Death card from the Tarot and also Ace of Wands. And this is from the Toth deck. You can see, as always, the picture. If you would like to click the link on the show notes. Um, and the death card from the Toth deck is a very potent and powerful one. It always reminds me of something my friend, my teacher, my collaborator, Britton LaRue, always says when this card comes up, which is that death is an artist. Death is an artist that... It's a reminder that death is not the end, right? It's so easy in the culture we live in, in the paradigm, the framework that we've been operating in to be so worried about how death is um, the end of life, right? But rather, I think we can also remember that any process of death is in fact part of the cycle of life. So currently I'm reading uh, Mysteries of the Dark Moon by Demetra George, which is a fabulous text on the archetype of the Dark Moon, as well as the goddesses in the pantheon who was um, or were connected to the Dark Moon period, approximately three days prior to the new moon. And in this book, Demetra talks about 
how that period of three days before the new moon, they tend to be where the light of the sun is not reflected on the moon. And so it's interesting to be considering that perhaps darkness, right, or this experience of darkness is the true face of the moon, right? That it's not this horrible thing, but rather we're simply gazing at the true face of the emptiness of the moon. Across the history of humans, we've kind of turned away from our ancestors understanding that darkness is part of the cycle, that death is part of the cycle, that the underworld is part of the whole dimension of reality. And rather than seeing it as integral parts of our lived experience, of our human um, beingness, we've kind of ostracized the dark, the underworld, into a space of taboo, into a space where somehow we believe there's something wrong with us. Personally, I think this is so fascinating because there's nothing inherently wrong with our divisions of, to me at least, um, there's nothing inherently wrong with thinking about the above world and the underworld as um, perhaps distinct spaces right of thinking of life and death as two distinct spaces because the reality is we do have a different experience when we are in that space we call life versus in that space we call death that part of the human experience is in observing and making sense of this dyadic na nature of life right however when we get kind of stuck in binary thinking in binary perception that you know, thinking that life is organized in either or, that's kind of when no matter what the system is, we get ourselves into a pickle. I remember the first time I read one of my favorite favorite texts by Pema Chodron, which is When Things Fall Apart. She mentioned this idea of hopelessness being central to living in the present moment, right? That unless we let go of our attachment to hope, or what she's calling hope, we can never truly be with what is. This was a concept that really struck me and that I had to take some time to digest um, for a while because I came from a Christian upbringing where the idea of hope is exalted, right? If any of you have had Christian upbringing, the idea of hope is really important because um, the the deity who is at the center of, of the Christian faith, right? Uh, Jesus is it's it's always this idea of like having hope because Jesus defied the expectations by um, giving away his life on um, the cross or you know resurrecting from the dead right and so we I think there can be a sense of you know if you came from some sort of uh, Christian background that hope is a crucial ingredient to not giving up in the face of adversity. It's taken me a number of years to truly feel into the seeming contradiction between the two teachings. And where I'm currently landing or where my contemplation is currently taking me is that um, it's not that these two concepts are opposites from one another. 
in fact, it is my own binary thinking and also perhaps the limitation of language, um, my conditioning from my upbringing, from culture, from um, my education that obscures my access to the true spirit of both teachings. In contemplating this idea of like hopelessness versus the importance of hope, um, I realized that there's not only one variety or one species of hope, right? That there's a true sense of faith that we can feel in our bodies and in our spirits that, for lack of a better term, we call that hope. And that there's also the mental projection of expectations where we believe we need to accomplish things in a certain way to achieve a certain result for our experience to be valid. And we also sometimes call that hope. And I wonder now what it looks like if we allow hopefulness and hopelessness to not really be a binary, but rather two sides of the same coin. What if we allow ourselves to be full of the spirit and the somatic sense of faith, of being rooted in the larger sense of time, and simultaneously we can empty ourselves of the detail of how our mental projection or our mental fa faculty or facilities think that hope needs to look like. That perhaps it is the clinging on to the expectations and the set ways that become the root of our suffering, right? That hopelessness can look like letting go of all of that mental projection of hope. And that a true felt sense of hopefulness is a felt um, embodied sense of what emerges when we abandon our mental projection which our mind registers as hope and our expectations about how we should do something or how we should show up to our pursuits. Also, um, again, going back to the tarot pull, right? Coming up, um, death showing up with the Ace of Wands is a reminder that instead, letting something go, letting something die is truly an integral part of making space for inspiration, for guidance, for greater clarity, right? Ace of Wands is zesty. Ace of Wands is spicy. In what ways do the big and small deaths of your life serve as reminders that something new, something sexy, something spicy are available on the other side? If you choose to believe that these deaths that you may be experiencing or that you may be noticing this week are not merely endings but part of the ongoing cycle of existence, what shifts are available? In what ways are you perhaps a little less afraid of death and more receptive of what is to come on the other side of these deaths? All right, that is it for my contemplation this week. I hope that that serves. I hope that that provides you some um, exciting food for thought to be thinking about. And I'm excited to hear how this is landing for you. If you um, listen to this and something is really clicking or... Um, 
you know, a realization is coming through, I would love to hear about it. You can email me at healingthespiritpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram. I would love to hear. I also have a tiny request for you with a massive implication for my work, which is that if you enjoy listening to this contemplation, if you have enjoyed listening to this podcast at all, and um, you have not left a review or um, some ratings or you haven't subscribed to this podcast, I would um, encourage you to do so. It really, really helps when you leave a review to help others um, find this work. And if you have found that this work is serving you, that it's giving you um, something to look forward to, then I would love to um, receive a review from you. Um, I believe that currently the podcast app that allows review is only Apple Podcasts. However, other platforms have rating um, engines or capabilities as well. So I would love to receive any reviews or um, any ratings from you. All right. I am wishing you a beautiful week ahead. I'm sending you so much love and I look forward to seeing you again next time. Um, And I think that might be an interview or maybe also another one of these contemplations. I'm not sure yet, but um, I can't wait to um, gather again with you. Until then, take good care of yourselves and I'm sending you so much love. Thank you for listening.